Welcome to Roots and Graffiti, a short chat diving into the happenings of Jasper County, Indiana. Episode topics range from project announcements to conversations about rural issues. Hosted by the Jasper Newton Foundation and Jasper County Economic Development Organization, together we'll explore and break down what's happening right here in Jasper County. I'm Stephen Eastridge with the Jasper County Economic Development Organization. Welcome to Roots and Graffiti. Thank you for joining me today. Um, Bree's not with us, she couldn't make it, but that's okay. I, I know that I've got her two questions that she wants me to ask. My name is Zach Melda, and I am a project director with NextEra Energy Resources. Today I'm uh, talking about Dunsbridge Solar and some of the uh, you know, solar development in general that we're doing here in the Midwest. I cover Illinois, uh, Ohio, as well as Indiana. Indiana, as we probably see the most demand in, we have the most projects in right now. So I uh, really appreciate the invite and just happy to be here. I'm Allie Sexton, a project manager with NextEra, also working on the uh, Dunsbridge solar team. I focus most of my attention on Indiana and Ohio in our region. I've been working in the industry for almost three years now. Excited to be here and talking more about the project and the industry in general. Definitely thank you guys both for coming. We're excited to have you guys here and talk about it. The Dunsbridge project is our biggest project right mm -hmm. now happening. And for anyone who's listening doesn't know, Dunsbridge Solar Project is in Kinkie Township. It's sort of easy to just think of it as sort of surrounding the Schaefer Generating Station mm -hmm. generally. NextEra is, is the developer in partnership with, with NIPSCO. And it's something we've been working on for a few years and thought it would be really good to start to talk about, you know, let everyone listening here about who NextEra is, you know, where you guys set up at, the um, portfolio of projects you guys are working on across the country, some of the specifics about the project, because it is kind of complex in that it, there's a couple of phases to mm -hmm. it and that developing a renewable project in and of itself is complicated and takes time, right? right? And then kind of talk about solar a little bit and what's happening in the, the energy market. So I think if you're okay, Zach and Allie, let's start with who is NextEra and, and why, you know, why that's important in all this. Yeah, so uh, NextEra is a great, great company. Mm -hmm. It's uh, publicly traded, so you can look us up on New York Stock Exchange. It's NEE. The company has invested you know, over $90 billion in, in clean energy and infrastructure. So we're one of the bigger players in the market on that. Actually, we're the number one generator of clean and renewable energy. Uh, that was from 2019, and that's also going to be true in, uh, last year for 2020. So we've got... Um, couple of companies that sit under the NextEra umbrella, mm -hmm. if you will. So you have NextEra Energy, which is the top parent company, and then right under that is Florida Power & Light, which is the biggest utility in the state of Florida, uh, serving, I think it's about 50 million customers. So there's that, that utility piece of the company. And then you have NextEra Energy Resources, which is what Allie and I work for, and that's the renewable arm. That's the development arm. That's all the new stuff. And so a lot of the capital investment is on that energy resources side. Mm -hmm. We do get the added perk of uh, you know FPL having their headquarters in Florida, so we're able to, to locate ourselves there in uh, in Florida. Although we do spend a large amount of time up in Indiana, up in Jasper now. 
I have to admit that I definitely like Google search the headquarters and stuff. And I was like, all right, how far are we from Orlando? Can I drive down there and pop in for a visit? We would love to have you visit. Yes. We've actually had quite a few landowners yeah. um, that have properties down in Florida stop by the office. And, you know, we love taking them around. The last folks I, I took on a tour, um, this is prior to COVID, but um, I took them around the trading floor, our rock center where we track every project that's online right now down to the turbine. Yeah. or the the solar panel we can see it all right there at headquarters and they were just very pleased with how, how we operated as a company and they signed uh they signed up with us that day and i'll just add quickly that um you know being at a company that both has that utility um experience with the fpl side as well as the energy resources um, renewables branch that branches ac- across the country it really helps us interact with those um you know larger utilities in indiana like nipsco for example so we can understand that um uh, type of customer and, and what their needs and um, concerns are and, and we understand the importance of keeping ratepayers and uh, every type of energy user satisfied and, and happy. Let's run with that for a second. So, th- so this project is not totally normal but not totally abnormal right in that you guys are partnering with NextEra which is our utility, one of our utilities here. Nipsco. In Nipsco. Nipsco, sorry, yeah. excuse me. Can you kind of break down that partnership and why it makes sense and how it, how it is a little unique for the Duns Bridge project? Mm-hmm. Um, typically, our contracts for these projects are in two different forms, primarily. They're a power purchase agreement, um, which we do have some of those with NIPSCO. And under that scenario, we own, we operate the project, we, we keep it for the lifespan. And then we have a, a build transfer agreement, which is the one that we have with NIPSCO, where we develop the project, we build it, we, we bring it online, and then NIPSCO becomes the owner of it. This situation that we have at NIPSCO is unique because we're still going to be assisting them in operating the site. So there'll be a lot of training of NIPSCO personnel as they ultimately take over the site. Um, they'll take ownership um, right when we get to mechanical completion, and then they'll work right alongside our folks in partnering to you know offer new jobs to people and new training. Um, as they transition from their coal fleet to more renewables. And you know, they've, they've looked at these scenarios in a hundred different ways, and they've looked at multiple different uh, generators in their fleet. And the renewable part of this makes the most sense for them yeah. on a cost basis. Let's talk about NextEra as a community partner and sort of how you guys, what your, you know, what your guys' goals are to be when in a community when you're working on a project both up to the development and the operation and maintenance of it well i I think it starts with our company values Mm -hmm. and that's the commitment to excellence that's doing the right thing and treating people with respect so you're always going to have that from next era uh in the community we love to get involved with the community because we know that we're going to be here for 35 40 years the lifetime of the project and we want to build those uh foundations um with the community Um, so we'll do spark uh, sponsorship opportunities. We do, we've done a couple of those already with the, high, the local high schools. Um, we do um, periodicals in the newspaper. We try to get our name out there. We try to just try to get the word out and let everybody know what's going on and what's happening. And I want to touch on something called uh, LCOE, mm-hmm. which is the levelized cost of energy, which is looking at energy costs over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, imagine that you're a big utility uh, like a NIPSCO and you're building a, a, a new generation project. What the LCOE looks at is, what's the minimum price that my customers could pay for this new plant that I'm bringing online that would break even over this lifetime? 
And that's when they look at those scenarios is how they pick which ones are going to go into the portfolio. Mm -hmm. And then that's what also gets brought before the IURC or the regulatory commission for ultimate approval. So think about it along those lines that it's really a big economic investment Mm -hmm. as well. A lot of calculation goes into it. Right. And and it's a good point to to point out the process is competitive in that we were competing with every Mm -hmm. other type of generating facility, Mm -hmm. be it coal, natural gas, wind, solar, and, you know, taking into account the levelized cost of energy. That's how the project was selected and and, um, NIPSCO decided to procure uh, energy via Dunsbridge Solar. The changes that have happened with solar over the last few years that have made it more cost effective mm-hmm. and more cost competitive, because I think even when I was even when I first came to Jasper County, you know, we were I was hearing from from NextEra when we were talking mm-hmm. about wind originally that wind was more you know wind was more cost effective and that solar was a few years out, and now you know really over the last three years we've seen a lot of solar projects start to be developed or in that development stage, has there been changes in the cost curve? Well, I think that uh, solar is a little more acceptable from a viewshed standpoint on on a lot of counties. There are some counties out there that have definitely taken advantage of everything that a wind project could be, but there's also a lot of advantages for solar projects as well. The cost of solar in the last decade has come down approximately 80 to 85%, which is huge. And that's why it's able to compete with all these other generators, with coal or gas or nuclear. So that's why you're seeing such a huge push for solar here in Indiana in particular. Uh, One, because it brings that additional tax base and you can take advantage of the investment of a renewable project in your community. It's not, it doesn't affect your viewshed as much as as a wind project would. You couple those together, and then you've got this huge demand from utilities here in Indiana, and you're just, you're kind of at the perfect storm here. And we have just over, it's over a billion dollars of contracted investment right now mm-hmm. uh, in Indiana, just in our group. And that's more than some companies uh, do altogether, and we're seeing that in one state. Yeah. Well, that, that probably has a lot to do with, I, I don't know what the number is now. But when I started, something like 96% of Indiana's electricity was generated by coal. And I think at one point, we were the, that was the high, we had the highest percentage of electricity produced by coal in the country. Is it just that you know, we have all these coal-fired facilities, and some of them need to be naturally retired? Schaefer's a good example. That was a, a plant mm-hmm. that was built with the intention of operating for 30 or 40 years, and we're pushing 60 right now with Schaefer. Are there just more of those plants in Indiana and, and it just happens to be at the same time where the cost curve is falling for solar? And there have been some some counties that have had conversations, um, productive and un- unproductive, about other forms of you know renewable energy and that because of the view shed and, and the cost curve combined and sort of Indiana's transition away from coal just kind of makes it a really good opportunity for us to capture some of that. Right. There's, there's a lot of uh, coal-fired generation here. And when you look at the economics of it, whether you want to build a new coal facility or you want to keep the one that you have online, you know, the numbers are coming back. It shows that renewable projects, when you bring those into your portfolio, are, are, are better. That's why you're, you know, you're seeing such a, such a high demand here. And, and this will be a really good transition into Dunn's Bridge. Because I think one of the things that I always like to talk about with Dunn's Bridge um, and I think one of the one of the things people use as a way to talk against solar projects or our solar project is that it doesn't, you know, there's a lot of investment, but there's not as 
not as much job creation you see with other projects. Particularly in Indiana counties right now, I think that's something that's really necessary. Mm -hmm. You know, Jasper County, pre-COVID, we had unemployment that hovered around 3%. So we had a very, very low unemployment. We don't have a super large employment base as it is. You know, our county as a whole has just under 34,000 people. And I can't tell you the number of people in the workforce off the top of my head, but we don't have workforce and, and labor just sitting around ready to go to work. Mm -hmm. right? But we have real tax base issues. And projects like Dunn's Bridge can be a really good um, way to capture some of that without placing any additional burden on our existing employers, right? Because you know, typically, you know, let's look at phase one, it's a $300 million project. Any, if it's a manufacturer doing a $300 million project, they're probably gonna employ at least 500 people. Mm -hmm. And that would, it would be way more than that in reality because of the, just the ratio of, of you know, people employed to capital investment typically is, is, is much uh, lower. Where Dunn's Bridge is a really good opportunity for our county to capture that tax base, stabilize as we transition away from the Schaefer Generating Station without hurting any of our other employers. When we have employers like Genova, uh, we have Titan Construction, we have um, Wigan Platt, who all will probably tell you they need like 10 or 15 people right now to like operate at full employment. If, if Dunn's Bridge was a typical manufacturing project and they're hiring 500 people, it would be really hard on our other, our other industries, our other employers. And so a project like this is super unique where we can really capture a lot of tax base without putting any additional strain on our uh, existing employers. And I think that's a really important thing that people don't really understand all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's the just the natural resource aspect of it mm -hmm. too. You know, we're not pulling a bunch of water uh, yep. during the operation. At very low cost, very low maintenance. And that's, again, what makes the renewable uh, projects so economical and enticing for for our customers you know to touch on jobs for a second because yes shaper's coming offline and that's a lot mm -hmm. of jobs that are affected and the question is you know how do we fill that gap or at least make it not as as sudden we are partnering with nipsco on this to stay on board after the project's constructed to help train maybe some of their displaced employees as as solar technicians as needed there's also going to be the opportunity for about 300 temporary construction jobs. Mm -hmm. um, these projects take a long time to build. Like Dunsbridge Phase 1, uh, we're going to start in August, and it's not going to get done until November, December of 2022. Yeah. And that's a long time. So that's 18, 19 months of having a good-paying construction job. Yeah. So you know, think about somebody with doesn't have a lot of skills um, but can get trained as a laborer, and could have a steady job and a steady paycheck for almost a year. Yeah. And that's, I think, a really good benefit, too, of this project coming online here. Not to mention the use of local goods and services that those construction mm -hmm. workers will use, um, yep. housing and, and local restaurants. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that, you know, the, especially the construction side of things, there's a lot of impacts that I think are looked over because we label them as temporary. But, you know, if you look at, if you do do the whole, whole project, right, we're talking about almost almost two years, two and a half years of construction where there'll be these 300 plus workers in our county every day, spending mm -hmm. money, traveling, doing other things. And one, I think if you look at it from our county's perspective, it's there's a good reality that probably not all of them will live in Jasper County, but that means there's also an opportunity for them to live in, in our county in the future because we've seen that happen with like other employment opportunities where people don't live here when they start working, but then sort of 
it's, it's much different if one county north, right? It's, you know, traffic sucks. <laughs> it's not even that bad, but, you know, it's just, you know, we're, we are much, much less densely populated. And there's a quality of life aspect with that that you, people don't realize unless they're working in Jasper County every day. Mm -hmm. And so it creates opportunities for us to show, showcase, you know, the quality of life in Jasper County and for people to see that and want to live here long term, too. Yeah, I'm uh, already looking for my, you know, vacation spot here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tell us about Dunsbridge. Talk, let's talk about where it's located, how big it's going to be. Let's, you know, talk more about the investment number. Talk about more about the timing. Mm -hmm. uh, you, know, we, you know, what's the total timing? When do we see that come online? How do, you know, what, what can we expect? Um, if there are landowners who might have questions, you know, and they're listening. Um, for some reason, they're not talking to you already, Zach. How do we get them tied into you? Things like that. So we'll start with just the construction timeline on what phase one looks like here. So phase one of the project is going to be 265 megawatts of solar mm -hmm. energy. The entire project is going to be 700 megawatts with a 75 megawatt battery storage adder. Which that's kind of big, right, for a solar battery? That's huge. Yeah. There, there's, uh, it's, you're not going to be a, a bigger project east of the Mississippi. Mm -hmm. This is going to be the biggest one. It's, it's massive, and it's something that... Um, you know, we're really proud of and very happy to be working on with you guys. Sure. It's exciting. It is very exciting. Um, the first phase of the project, we're going to start construction in August of this year. We're going to be coming in in the next couple of days or the next week or so to start to apply for our building permits. Mm -hmm. We've completed our geotechnical surveys. We've completed our environmental screening. We're looking at all all different aspects of you know, what what land is actually usable here and where should we put our array that makes the most sense for the landowners, for the soils, for the uh, the environment and the wildlife, because we, we want to be cognizant of the um, the bird population here sure. and the tourism that that generates. Mm -hmm. I think this is going to complement that by being the biggest solar facility. So you've got you know the as aspect of it as well. We'll start in August and then we will go through um, all of next year and we will complete phase one around about November mm -hmm. of 2022. As soon as we're done with phase one, we're going to start in on phase two. We have to because it's so big. We have to be online with this entire project by December of 2023. Yeah, that's what uh, we've partnered with NIPSCO on. They're going to need that to service their customers, so we have to be online by then. That second phase of the project is going to be the additional 435 megawatts of solar, and that's where we're going to put the battery at as well. So that'll be the 75 megawatt uh, storage adder will be on there. The first phase is just going to be solar only. And we're starting off the first phase, we're just really just wrapping around where that the Schaefer coal facility is. So there's going to be, um, some of the array is going to be in the town of Wheatfield, mm -hmm. and you're just going to kind of travel east and wrap up around the coal sure. facility and up toward the river. And that's where we're going to put the first phase. It's predominantly, it's going to go out to the east and then some to the, uh, to the west as well. Phase two is going to it's going to be a big undertaking yeah. just because it's so big and it's going to employ a lot of people and there's going to be a lot of resources and materials coming in but when we're done it is going to be the best that we can build and it's going to be the biggest how many how many solar panels can we put some numbers to it to try to make you know how many arrays are we talking here phase one is it's going to be 660,000 panels Jeez. on the first phase yeah. you're probably looking up to more yeah 900 to a billion panels yeah. on the thing. So it's, there's a lot of panels and all of those have to get cranked in by hand yeah. with wrenches yeah. and bolts. So like I said, it, it takes, a, takes a long time to build these projects out. But 
we build them in such a way that they are much less intrusive to the underlying um, ground mm -hmm. because at the end of the project's life we want to be able to return it back to its natural state so return it back to farming and uh, we adopted an approach called civil light mm -hmm. and we use very little concrete the the piles themselves they're just they look like galvanized steel i-beams that's what they are and they go down into the ground uh, a specific distance mm -hmm. that based on the groundwater table yeah. which up around this area is pretty high so figure those are going to get you know quite a few feet, mm -hmm. uh, six to nine feet into the ground. But that's the only part that's touching the ground are just these these piles. Yeah. Uh, we attach the racking systems onto that and then ultimately attach the panels onto those. Yeah. These systems will be able to, to track the sun across the sky. Mm -hmm. That's what we call a tracker system as opposed to just a fixed one. So which what you, is that? Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, so like, for example, the array that's down by the Indianapolis airport okay. is a fixed system. Um, it just faces south, the panels don't move, but still pretty efficient. Mm -hmm. One of the advances in technology that's come out is this tracker system where we actually track the sun as it moves across the sky. We're able to capture more energy and make the facility more productive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sunlight comes down in the form of radiation. Mm -hmm. We capture that on these panels. Uh, that gets passed by cabling, uh, which runs the length of the underside of the panel itself. Mm -hmm. We have some videos that we actually took last week, and we're going to start posting those onto our uh, social media pages. So people can see a visual of what these actually look like. Yeah. So that, that cabling goes under the panel system, and that ultimately goes into a, uh, an inverter, mm -hmm. which changes it from direct current, which the panels are capturing, to what's called alternating current. Mm -hmm. And then that alternating current is what gets put on the, the distribution lines and then goes out and is uh, pumped into everybody's home yeah. as clean energy. So, I mean, that in a nutshell is kind of how it happens. I get a question a lot, and Ali, you've probably heard this one too. Why are you siting here in Indiana? Because it's so cloudy all the time. Yeah. There's actually a way that we can capture energy called diffused irradiation, mm -hmm. where energy is still captured as it diffuses through the cloud cover. We can also capture it as it bounces off the ground. So like all the snow cover that's on the ground, yeah. we can capture more energy. Uh, it's not as much as we might get if it was a nice sunny day out. Sure. But we're still, we're still getting power off of that. So three separate ways, either the direct sunlight, diffused through clouds, or it bouncing off the ground, we can still create energy. Mm -hmm. And I think all these characteristics of these panels that we're describing speaks to you know, what we've seen in the solar cost curves and, mm -hmm. and how the cost of the technology has been coming down and um, you know, that's just been met or even exceeded by the battery technology that we've yeah. been seeing. So the batteries will, we've actually got a video of that too uh, that we took that, so people can uh, check out our Facebook page and, and see those videos of what a battery actually looks like. And it, it's, it looks like a big Connex with a air conditioner on the outside yeah. of it. And that's all it is. And so inside of these things are just these modules that are all hooked up by cables. Um, it looks like a big server center, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, each one of these are a couple megawatts, each of them and they'll be housed either close to the substation or we'll be putting that at the foot of the array, mm -hmm. uh, whatever makes the most sense from a, a design standpoint. So with these batteries, we can charge them up uh, during the day when the sun is the brightest and we're capturing the most energy, and then we can discharge that at some other time when the demand is higher. First thing, early in the morning when people are getting up and making their coffee and, and, and uh, doing everything that they need to do to get ready for the day, you know, power demand is very, very high. Same thing in the evening when you're getting home and uh, making dinner, and, making dinner, and you know you're 
you're on your uh, Nintendo Switch or you're, <laughs> you're on your iPads, uh, you're using a lot of energy. So if there's a way to, to shift that energy from the middle of the day when the we're getting the most production and it's brightest, yeah. that's, that's, that's what the battery can bring to it. It's that okay. shift and to, to maximize your capacity by the renewable array. So it's a great, great complement uh, to the solar system. If someone's listening to this, they're in that area, is, it, is there still an opportunity for them to sign up? What's somehow, some way, property owner with a significant amount of land didn't hear anything yet. I don't know, maybe you're living under a rock or something, I don't know. Is there still opportunity for them to participate? Or, there is. Okay, and, there is. and we just get them in, in touch with you? And, uh, you can get in touch with Marcy Burton, who yeah, I'm yeah, sure a lot of people know. She's still signing people up mm-hmm. uh, for phase two. Yeah. Phase one, we're already too far along. Sure. Um, that's already been permitted. We've got everything we need and we want to move forward on that. So it won't be this year, yeah. but you can still get in on phase two. You can see the lease if you want to take a look at it yeah. from Marcy, that it's a pretty good opportunity. Make sure to provide Marcy's contact information in the show notes that way. Yep. If anyone's hearing it and it's like, well, I really want to, I want to find out more that they can reach Marcy directly. Yeah, yep. and, and I'll just add, we've, we've also launched our project Facebook page. Mm-hmm. So, so you can search Dunsbridge Solar Project on Facebook. We also have a, a website via the website or the Facebook page. You can get project updates on, um, you know, the latest, the latest work we're doing out in the field. And there's also opportunities to get in touch and ask other questions via those sources. Yeah, the web, the uh, email address is uh, dunsbridgesolar at nextaraenergy.com. So you can send your questions directly to that and that gets it gets put into a, a filter. So if you have an engineering question, that, that email should go to the engineers or likely it's all coming to me, but still, like yeah. we'll, we'll get, we'll get sure. you the answers as, as you need them. Absolutely. Let's spend just a little bit of time talking about solar and, and maybe renewables a little bit, perception, things that you guys feel that people think they know about solar, these types of projects that aren't really correct because there's this crazy thing called the internet and you can literally look up anything like the earth is flat, right? I hope we, I hope none of you guys are flat earthers here because it's weird, right? Mm-hmm. Or that we didn't land on the moon, right? <laughs> so what are, what are some of the struggles that you guys feel you guys encounter with developing a project like Dunsbridge? How do we, you know, just make sure that if people have questions or or they want to understand more, that we, we get them the information to help them understand better. So one item that I, I uh, like to start with on this is concern for the land mm-hmm. and um, how the land can be used and what the, the useful life will, will be like after mm-hmm. um, the panels are removed. And that's something that's important to us. And it speaks to uh, the civil light approach that we take when mm-hmm. we engineer these facilities. And it also speaks to the the vegetation management plan that we develop, you know, in coordination with, with each county that we have a project. So mm-hmm. we plant a low-growing vegetation that prevents soil erosion, and it also ensures that the the vegetation doesn't grow over the panels so that we can still maximize energy production. But more than anything, you know, this allows this uh, farmland to rest mm-hmm. so that after uh, the life of the project, there is still, um, you know, this, this very valuable farmland that um, is, you know, oftentimes better off than had it been farmed during the life of the project. Well, I think that's a really interesting point because when, so before, right, right at the beginning of this project, phase one being developed, the county worked on putting a solar ordinance in place mm-hmm. um, because we couldn't even permit them at a, you know, before this project started being worked on. And um, some of the original property owners for the Dunsbridge project came to some of the county meetings um, that were held 
and spoke in favor. And one of the comments that I heard from a property owner, it stuck with me, is just that this was land in, in this part of the county. This was land that probably should have, they should have stopped farming a couple decades ago. Um, it's just very sandy soil. It's not productive land. And this is an opportunity, just like what you're saying, Ali, is that it's going to rest and have an opportunity become more productive to gain more organic matter um, and be better farm ground if those property owners want to use it like that again um, after the lifetime of this project. And I think that's something that should resonate really well in a community like ours. I, I, I think for the property owners, they get that, but I'm not sure. I, th I think I think for the most part, people understand that part of you know this of this yep. project. And by the way, the project's going to pay for that decommissioning yeah. and yeah, letting it rest. Point. So you know, we're going to put a decommissioning bond in place that will stick with the lifetime of the project. That money will be available whenever the project reaches its lifespan, and then it'll be properly decommissioned. You know, a lot of the panels nowadays they can be what seventy to ninety percent recycled. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. it's Oh, kind of a win-win there. Yeah, and, and something I want to add in bringing up the, the landowners that have the opportunity to farm the land after the project, in a lot of cases, they they may have other portions of their property that they're still farming, and, and this is an opportunity to diversify the, the land use. So mm -hmm. they are able to continue farming in some cases where they, they maintain some acres and to have uh, income from... A, a solar lease yeah. so that they have an extra protection mechanism um, for the, the property that they own. And it's not going to affect their neighbor one bit. If, yeah. if their neighbor wants to continue farming, it's not mm -hmm. going to affect their operation. It's not going to create any dust, no light, no pollution. Mm -hmm. It's a great neighbor. Mm -hmm. it's, a good, it's a good tool for farmers today because, you know, especially in the last few years, all of our farmers in our county have felt this, whether it's from environmental with drought or too much rain at the wrong time of the season or some of the you know trade issues that have come up internationally over the last few years. Revenue diversification for our farms has been really important and this is an excellent way for them to take some of their probably least productive ground in their in their farming portfolio, take it out of production and let it earn revenue in a way that it hasn't before for them. So I think that's a really I think it's a really strong there's a strong case to be made for that and just diversifying their, their farm revenue, right? You know something else that I hear about is the glare. Mm -hmm. um, that it could potentially cause. And the panels are constructive of a non-reflective coating. Mm -hmm. And that's to reduce the glare on it because we want to capture all of the sunlight that we possibly can sure. in there because that's how we create power. The components are pressed between two pieces of plexiglass. Mm -hmm. And that prevents it from you know, cracking and, and falling apart. So yeah. think about it as uh, your windshield on your car. Yeah. And if a rock kicks up and hits it, it just kind of shatters a little bit, but it still stays intact. It still stays in place. Um, that's the exact same technology that we use here okay. uh, to, to keep anything from falling out. Maybe I think about this too simple, but I always think it's interesting when we talk about glare. And I going back to what you talked about with the Indianapolis project around mm -hmm. the airport. I can't fathom if there was large amounts of glare, they would put one right next to the airport and let these pilots man these airplanes right next to it with their eyes being blinded. Exactly. Because, right? I mean, so maybe I'm too simple, but I go, well, I don't really know if... There's going to be tons of glare. Otherwise, they wouldn't be landing airplanes next to them all day long, right? No, that's exactly right. I mean, we engineer these so that they will absorb as much sunlight as yeah. possible. For you know, any any sunlight that is being reflected off is sunlight that we're not capturing and not turning into sure. electricity. So, so they really are as anti-reflective as possible. Some of those older systems that used mirrors to mm -hmm. heat water to run a turbine, and they were called solar systems. That's yeah. probably where the the whole glare thing started. Sure. But these are. Exactly like Ali said, very, very low with no glare whatsoever. Yeah, that's good. I have to ask this just because I read it as well. 
and just so all of our listeners know this, um, I read that there was a project going in, and I think it was like North Carolina, some town in North Carolina, and the town voted it down because they're afraid that the solar panels were going to suck the sun out of the sky. <laughs> we're not going to suck the sun out of the, sun no, out of the sky, right? Like yeah. the sun's going to stay where it's supposed yeah, to, right? It's okay. Staying where it is. I want to make sure so we can clear that up before you know, just get ahead of that, right? It's not going to be sucked right out of the sky, so. There has been, uh, you know, a couple of questions that I get around the hydrology of mm-hmm. it and how does it affect the, because there's a lot of uh, wetlands in this area mm-hmm. and it's a huge project. It's a, you know, four or five, 7,500 acres of uh, solar panels. Going back to the civil light approach again, none of this, none of the panels or, or all of the array is touching the ground. It's mm-hmm. very minimal and uh, the actual impervious area is not going up very much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ground is actually kind of staying where it is. Sure. And if we do um, end up to have to put in a little swale or detention basin, um, we are doing hydro studies right now. That'll be part of our um, building permit package that we submit. And that of course will be a, uh, under review to be approved by the drainage board here in Jasper County. So Perfect. That's the glory of having a good ordinance put in place, right? Mm-hmm. We have, just, just, just like we were talking about with the decommissioning, that's another thing that's a part of our um, ordinance that you know we kind of have these rules working with you guys to develop it and check all these boxes so that we, we know all these things before you know before the project's built right I think so, it's great for both of us yeah. know, we, we know what to expect going in and you know what to expect yeah. with the project there's there's one aspect to solar development and really any type of um, development in this industry that I like mm. to put in context it's something that is really energizing and motivating for me in mm-hmm. the line of work that Zach and I do, um, because it's this is something that every single one of us use. You know, we we get up, we we get out of bed every morning, and we flip a switch. The lights come on, and it's something that you know we expect to happen. And there is a a huge amount of infrastructure and work behind you know what's in place to allow that to happen. And so. This is something where we have the opportunity to to put a type of um, generator that's allowing lights to come on every day that is not emitting emissions and is having a, a, a positive contribution to uh, the local community. That's a, a context that really uh, you know helps me give my best every day in, in, in this yeah. line of work. So Dunsbridge was originally being, when I, when I first started, we were working with Ryan a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Justin Wolf, I worked with a bunch. Mm-hmm. And he said it really well is that when you wake up in the morning and your iPhone's had on the charger all night, your iPhone better be charged, right? <laughs> like there's just that expectation. There is no doubt that there's electric in the outlet and that you can mm-hmm. do the things you want to do. And developing these types of projects are a part of that, right? Yep. And so good, bad, and different energy projects have to be developed so you can charge your iPhone. Yeah, as a father too, you know, I have to think about my kids' future mm-hmm. and um, renewable energy, uh, being able to you know, think about the environment that they'll live in and thrive in in, in the decades to come. I'm just very proud and thankful to be just involved in the process of changing the face of how energy is produced mm-hmm. uh, for the better here. So it's uh, really exciting to be on this team and, uh, and part of what we're trying to do here in this community. Well, I appreciate both you, Allie, and Zach coming up and uh, coming coming and spending a day in sunny Indiana with us. That was great. <laughs> I just want to thank our partners in all this. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, it's the landowners in mm-hmm. Jasper County, MIPSCO, mm-hmm. the countless thousands of people that are working on the project and will end up working on the project. So much appreciated. It's exciting. And for anyone who has any questions, all the contact information that um, Zach and Allie said earlier, we're going to have in the show notes. So thanks for listening and have a good day.
We hope you enjoyed today's conversation about Jasper County. For anything related to the podcast or information about today's conversation, you can email Bree and I at rootsandgraffiti at jaspercountyin.com, all spelled out. And there will also be links in the show notes below. Thanks, guys.